This is in verse 11 where Solomon is dedicating the temple or the house of God. It says, Thus Solomon, 2 Chronicles 7:11, finished the house of the Lord and the king's palace and successfully completed all that he had planned on doing in the house of the Lord and in his palace. Then the Lord, verse 12, appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, verse 13, or if I command the locust to devour the land. Let me pause here. There is a locust uh, swarm in, I think it's in East Africa right now, the likes that they haven't seen in 25 years. Somebody told me uh, right after we did the first service that it's moved into the areas of the Middle East as well. Just destroying and ravaging areas. So it's really interesting that we have a virus breakout and we have locusts devouring uh, large uh, sections of land and that kind of thing. And here's what God says. He says, um, he says, the locusts to devour the land, middle of 13, if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be, will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now, you know in the New Covenant, there is not a physical temple right now, but you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? God lives inside of you. You are his people. And God in his sovereignty has allowed the things in the world to happen the way that they have happened. And I would just say, it would be really good if we had followed the biblical remedy right now and seek his face in prayer and repentance. I'm going to show you one more. It's in Psalm 33. Psalm 33. It's a little bit to your right to get to the book of Psalms. Psalm 33, and we're going to pick it up in verse 10. Psalm 33:10 says, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. 33:11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. 13. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death, to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart rejoices in him, because we trust in his holy name, let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us, according as we have hoped in you. So I'm going to be getting on my knees, if you'd like to physically join me, if you're able, to pray over our world and our nation. Father, we come before you right now, and we have a biblical remedy. 
uh, really for all times, but I think especially in times of difficulty and national crisis, to pray. And even though 2 Chronicles 7 was written to ancient Israel, we are your people, we are your church. And the formula has not changed. In Revelation 2 and 3, Lord, you walked among the churches, the seven churches in the New Testament, and most of those churches were called upon to repent. And Father, I want to ask for your forgiveness for me personally, for us personally, any sins that we have been toying with, anything that we've been playing with, anything that is not of you, that does not glorify you, would you please forgive us? We repent of it as one body, one people. I pray over our nation, Lord, please forgive us for the things that we have allowed in this nation, things that don't please you, whether they're legal or not. I ask for your mercy. I ask for your forgiveness. And I pray that we would be repenting of any known sin in our lives, in our country, Lord. I know that you look from heaven, according to Psalm 33, and you watch what we do. And you know what's been going on. And Lord, you've allowed this in your sovereignty. And so we're coming before you in humility, asking for your forgiveness, asking for your mercy, asking that you would heal our land. And also, Lord, asking for our president and vice president and governors and, and those in other countries trying to make decisions, healthcare workers and those who are trying to come up with vaccines and just so many different things where we need your grace. What's awesome, thinking about your high priestly ministry, is that you invite us to a throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. If there was ever a time of need, it's now. And so we ask, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, who entered into our pain, that you would pour fresh mercies upon us, Lord. That you would forgive us of our sin, that you would heal our land we cry out to you for the United States of America. We pray over the people of China and Italy and all the other countries that are impacted. We pray, Lord, that you'd bring a remedy, but we would not forget these times because I sense that you are calling upon each of us to go deeper, to lean into you more, to lead our families better, to lead our churches better, to truly say God is our trust. So, Lord, I'm asking for your living waters to sweep and refresh and fill our land. And I'm asking for anyone in our congregation who may be fighting health issues right now that you would be merciful and heal them. Anyone who's sick in the hospital right now with this virus, that you'd be merciful and heal them. And I just, I just cry out to you, Lord. And anywhere I've fallen short in this prayer, I pray your mercy would cover that. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said. Amen. God bless you. Okay, we are, uh, just a couple quick things. Uh, number one, just some measures that we've taken. So we have uh, hand sanitizing stations that I would encourage you to use when you enter and exit the building. Uh, those of you who are planning to come to the movie night tonight, that is still going to happen. And doors open at 6.30, the movie begins at 7 p.m. Right now, as of right now, everything that we do on the calendar is as is. We have taken the extra measures not to, for example, we're not passing an offering bag this morning because we're trying to limit the touch. I would encourage you, give people their space. If you say, I don't care about no coronavirus, I'm hugging you, man, and they back away, respect that. Maybe they want to just give you an elbow. 
That's, that's what I'd like to do today at most, is just give you an elbow. Uh, just out of respect, right? Because I think we got to be wise in these times. If you would like to give, the back offering box is always available to you. It's right by the sound booth, right by the entry doors into the sanctuary. How many of you already give online to the church? Raise up your hand. Okay, so a lot of you have already taken advantage. LivingTruthCorona.org is the website. There's a uh, little icon there that says give on the page, and you can give that way so you don't have to worry about, you know, that kind of thing. You can mail a check if you want to. Obviously, we realize that these are interesting times, and some of your businesses have been affected by this. Um, I know uh, grocery stores and the like are booming and lines are 40 people deep and that kind of thing but but really other businesses have been impacted because so much stuff is shut down so my encouragement encouragement to you uh, you who are married you who are leading families you who are have some role in a company that you would be bringing your staff together as is appropriate and be praying for god's wisdom and provision during this time so we're doing that as well as a church and we're just praying that the Lord's going to provide. we got a lot going on every week. You know, we, we rely on God's people to give. But here we are in a season where these are very unprecedented and unusual times. I've never seen anything like this in my whole life. And it's because of a flu. But we do know that it can spread rapidly and there's things that we need to do. So anyway, we need to walk in wisdom. So... Number one, I wanted, to, I wanted to make sure that we had a chance to pray together and honor the National Day of Prayer. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to spend a little time in God's Word, and I'm going to be encouraging you about not worrying. And I have a text from Jesus directly for you this morning uh, in, in that regard. Uh, before we get into the text, I'm going to ask the kids, any children that are here, to be dismissed uh, out to Sunday school so you guys can go. And uh, Tanya is in the back, and she can lead you guys there. For the rest of you, would you grab your Bible? Let's open to Luke chapter 12. Don't be afraid, little flock. Those are the words of Jesus. We're in Luke chapter 12. And uh, you, you might say, well, Pastor Michael, why should I not be afraid? Uh, it sounds easy to say, don't panic, but I'm panicking. I'm afraid. I'm fearful. There's so many passages in the Bible about not being afraid. Jesus said it. Angels said it. God said it to Joshua. He said it in Deuteronomy 31.6. He said it in Psalm 23. He said it in Hebrews 13.5 and 6. And the main reason that God said don't be afraid is one reason. is because I am with you and I will never leave you nor will I ever forsake you. So, the thing that causes fear to dissipate is God's promises. Amen? So you can get caught up in all the stuff that's going on, and I'm sure many of you are sick and tired of hearing about it by this time, and I understand that. And yes, we need information, but if you sit there and dwell on this, and every hour of your waking day is focused there, you're going to continue to build fear into your life. So my encouragement to you is to spend time in God's word and let God's promises minister to you because they're true in every season. And by the way, God's still sitting on his throne. He has not gone anywhere. 
The world has seen many difficult times. Can you imagine, for a second, those of you who have studied the book of Revelation, can you imagine if we entered into the times that the book of Revelation describes? And some of us are wondering about that, right? And imagine if just a few of the things happened that are depicted in the book of Revelation. Now, we've seen how the world's responded to a flu, right? Uh, virtually everything shut down. Stock market going way down. People panicking and all of that. Just imagine for a moment if the book of Revelation happened in our lifetime. I say that not to scare you, but to tell you the world is fickle. We act so tough and like we got it all together. I was in the supermarket uh, three, four days ago. I went to Stater Brothers to pick up a few things. And I was behind a young man. I think he was about 21, tall, strapping, strong guy. He had so many canned items on the conveyor belt, I was blown away. <laughs> He's getting non-perishables, baby. See, the world right now doesn't know what to do. And, and I'll tell you, I don't know what unbelievers do in times like these. But I'll tell you what, we got to pray for our world right now. Because there's been a lot of people who have been pushing God away. And it is time for us to come near to God. And this, this is a, obviously an important time for that to take place. Now there's many scriptures where God describes himself as a shepherd. He is the shepherd of his flock. And if we, uh, if we could put that sermon image back up, I want to emphasize this in a few passages. You can just listen to them. Psalm 95, 6 and 7, if you're taking notes, says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. In Isaiah 40, verses 5 through 11, here's what the Lord says. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, call out. Then He answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass, all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands for how long, brethren? It stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift, up, lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Isaiah 40, verse 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. The beautiful picture of the Lord being our shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, is depicted in Jesus' words, which the title for our message comes from Luke 12, 32 where Jesus says to his disciples, don't be afraid, little flock. We're going to look at verses 22 through 32 for our message this morning. I'm here to encourage you about worry, about your focus, about how to overcome worry, how to keep your eyes where they belong. So let's pick up Jesus' words in verse 22 of Luke 12. And Jesus said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, don't be anxious for your life, as to what you shall eat, nor for your body, as to what you shall put on. Now, 
Jesus says to his disciples, and Luke records, he said it for this reason. Now, those of you who are students of the Bible, you know to ask for what reason? And Jesus was warning about greed. In fact, in the earlier section, if you take a look in Luke 12, notice it says, someone in the crowd, verse 13, said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Greed is not, never thinking we have enough. Worry is wondering if we will have enough. <laughs> Amen? So he says, For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, this is a story, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning or spiritual point. The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, 19, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, don't worry about your life. You see, we have to be aware. We have to beware of greed of that which consumes us. And then we get worried. And it's wor we have two primary worries, right? We have fear of failure and fear of the future. And both worries are right, right before the world right now. Fear of failure, fear of the future. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to our country, to our cities, to our world, to the economy, to my health? That's where we're at right now. And Jesus says, look, I am telling you, don't be anxious for your life. See that word anxious there? That's a Greek word that means mental distress or agitation, resulting from concern, usually for something impending or anticipated. The, the Greek word translated anxious means to be pulled in different directions. Our hopes pull us in one direction. Our fears pull us in the opposite direction. And we are pulled apart. The old English root from which we get worry literally means to strangle. The essence of worry is fo focusing on the wrong thing and staying stuck there. And maybe that's where you are. Warren Wearsby said, If you've ever really worried, you know, it, uh, you know how it does strangle a person. In fact, worry has definite physical consequences. Headaches, neck pains, ulcers, even back pains. Worry affects our thinking, our digestion, and even our coordination, close quote. And we have all heard of psychosomatic illnesses as well, where something's going on and we get worried about something and so we start thinking that we got it. Oh no, I got it. Oh no, I got it. Now, I'm not telling you to be silly. I'm not telling you not to be cautious. But you understand what I'm saying. Worry can do so many things. It can make us feel like we're falling apart or being strangled. Dr. Walter Cavert reported a survey on worry that indicated that only 8% of the things people worried about were legitimate matters of concern. The other 92% were either imaginary, never happened, 
or involved matters over which people had no control anyway. One man says, when I look back at, on all these worries, I remember the story of an old man who was on his deathbed. He said in his life he had a lot of trouble, most of which never happened, close quote. We worry, and we worry, and we worry, and we worry, and we worry about stuff that most of the time never even happens to us. But we get concerned and torn apart and choked. From a Roman prison, Paul wrote these famous words. Flip over to Philippians. We'll return to Luke in a second. Philippians 4, Philippians 4 and verse 6, famous verses that I think many of you have memorized. Let me just encourage you to see them. Paul modeling what Jesus said in Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for what? For nothing. You, you guys were really weak when you said that. You, you went, everybody went, nothing. We know what it says, Pastor Michael. It says nothing. Is there any small print in there? Any fine print? Any qualifications? Well, Paul just says nothing, and he wrote this from prison. He says, but in everything, here's the solution, because some of you are saying, yeah, it sounds easy, be anxious for nothing, okay? But what do I do? Well, in everything by prayer and supplication, here's a key, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. One of the things that we have to do in times like this is we have to start giving thanks for what we do have instead of worrying about what might happen. Amen? So I would encourage you to just take some stock of what you do have right now. Uh, focus a little bit on your loved ones around you. How about on all the things that you do have? How about on all the blessings that you can count right now? How about we start taking a little inventory and start giving thanks to God? You know, when you start giving thanks to God, it's, it changes your focus and your attitude. Now, Paul, he gives us something else here. He says in Philippians 4, 7, God promises the peace which surpasses all comprehension when you do this, and that peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is uh, of good repute, if there is any excellence, any and if anything worthy of praise, what should you do? What should I do? Dwell on these things. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, here's what you got to do. You got to practice these things. And what's the promise? And the God of peace will be with you. Notice in verse 7, you're promised the peace of God. You could call that a, an experiential peace. And in verse 9, it literally says God will be your partner in peace. The God of peace will be what? He will be with you. He will be your partner in your day-to-day, moment-to-moment activities. A promise of experiential peace, a promise of the God of peace by your side, walking with you in this key passage. This is how you do it. You've all read the passages on not worrying, but you might say, but how do you not worry? Would somebody please tell me the formula? You start giving thanks. You start focusing on all the good things that God has in his promises. And God says, I'm going to give you a peace that transcends your situation, your circumstances, your difficulties, etc. Everybody with me? So Paul really got this from Jesus. And it is a promise we have that we can put into place, and I would encourage you to do it now. Luke 12, let's go back there. So 
Jesus is teaching his people, and he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Would you notice it doesn't say if you're going to eat. It says what you're going to eat. Do you know that Americans have pretty much become almost neurotic on not if we're going to eat, but what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear? Let me say to our young people, I remember being in junior high and high school, and you had to have the right shoes, the right, and I'm talking about the brand, the right jeans, the right shirts, the right sweaters, jackets, etc., or you didn't fit in. It wasn't if you had clothes, it was what you wore. Now, we need to acknowledge that there are parts of the world that people are wondering if I'm going to eat. Amen? And we all, sometimes when those commercials come on, we don't want to watch them because they're difficult for us to digest and even take. There's some people that don't have stuff to eat. But let's talk about us. For most of us in this room, it's not a matter of if we're going to eat, it's what we're going to eat. You ever had a conversation with a family member and something like this? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go out to eat? And the family member will say, you choose. And you say, okay, let's go here. And then they'll go, no, I don't really want to go there. Well, why did you tell me to choose? Because I thought you were going to choose what I would choose. Right? What we're going to eat, what we're going to wear. Would you say that our culture is somewhat consumed by those choices? What we're going to put on? Fashion, clothing. How many hours upon hours? And again, I'm not saying that this is bad, evil stuff. But how much do we get, we get consumed about the what? What are we going to do? What, are we gonna, what do you think God thinks of our be to, being totally consumed with the, this kind of stuff? Jesus says in 23, Life, 1223 of Luke, is more than food. And I would encourage you, just underline, life is more. Life is more than food and the body you could say it this way, is more than clothing. Brethren, life or true life is more than this temporal stuff. When the temporary treasures of this world are your focus, anxiety is inevitable. This is what marketing does to us. you got to have this, you got to have that, or you're not going to be happy. And then people get all the stuff, and then they worry about losing all the stuff, and they can't sleep at night, and they can only eat milk and crackers because they're so worried. And Jesus says, look, life is more than that. Our culture needs to hear these words afresh. Life is more than food, and life is more than the clothes that you put on. R. Kent Hughes says, modern culture is neurotic about food, drink, and clothing, every product imaginable for the body is pr promoted, how to tan it, massage it, pamper it, clothe it, drug it, and stimulate it. Modern culture addresses worries we did not know we had, worries that neutralize our discipleship. You see, worry causes you to be stuck, immobilized, frozen, because you don't know what to do next because you're so fearful. You say, well... Is there a little bit more that Jesus gives us about how we don't worry? Yeah, Jesus will go to nature. He says, consider the ravens. I was looking at some uh, pictures on the internet, and uh, I saw a picture of a couple of ravens. They almost look like crows. Crows are kind of their close ancestor. And they're sitting on a tree branch, and they're just kind of checking things out. You ever walked outside and just considered the birds? 
You might, you might think this sermon has gone to the birds. Okay, just stay with me. See, the ravens neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn. Remember the parable Jesus t- talked about where the man builds bigger and bigger barns? The, the, and that's in 1218. The birds have no storeroom, no barn, and yet what happens? God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Now, I know some people in some organizations will take exception with those words. No, birds are equal with humans. No, they're not. Birds are not made in the image of God. Humans are. And God feeds the birds. This is from the lesser to the greater. How much more you and me, brethren? Maybe, and here's Jesus giving us a remedy. Maybe you go outside a little bit later. And if you ever have birds that kind of land in your trees, or my wife loves the hummingbird feeder. Any of you got hummingbird feeders? Hummingbirds are so cool, aren't they? Because they come up with those wings. They move so fast. And then they perch, and they have that long drinking beak, and they, they start hitting, and then they fight each other for the sugar water, basically. But they're so cool to look at. And it's just cool to consider that God made everything. Do you know, uh, scientists are saying there's now, they've documented now close to 9 million forms of plants and animals in the world. 9 million. Our God is a God of variety. He takes care of his world every single day. Psalm 147 verse 9 says, He gives the beast its food. And to the young ravens which cry, Psalm 147, verse 9. In the book of Job, God says to Job, Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars, stretching his wings toward the south? Verse 29. From there the eagle spies out his food. He eyes it from afar. In 1 Kings 17, 1 through 6, God fed the prophet Elijah with ravens. It's true. God said, stay by the brook, and I'll bring you your breakfast, and I'll bring you your dinner by the birds. Can you imagine? The birds show up with some food for you. Here you go, man. I don't know how they, <laughs> I don't think they spoke, but God can speak, because God spoke to the birds, and he said, I'm commanding the ravens to feed you. Jesus says, don't worry. If God takes care of insolent, squawking birds, <laughs> that don't know how to farm, that don't know how to build barns, that don't sow and reap. How much more us? There's a story told about little, two little birds that are sitting out on a picket fence and they're looking into the kitchen of a home where everybody's all stressed out and fighting over silly, stupid things you know, that we can go, get so caught up in. And one bird looked at the other bird and said, if only those people had a God like ours. Look at those humans. Freaking out about all this stuff. If only they had a God like ours. Amen? You see, this is what God does. He takes care of us. Consider the ravens. Consider the birds. Jesus says, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? Most believe this is an hourly reference, NIV. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? New Living Translation Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Rhetorical question, answer, no. In fact, 
it may take away from some hours of your life. Because doctors talk about stress. How many of you, any, you get something in the mail and it says how to overcome stress, and you're like, there's a lot of junk mail here, but I'm reading that one, baby. Stress, anxiety, gray hair, difficulty. Look, we, we all feel it. But Jesus says you can't add a single hour. In fact, worry doesn't add. It takes away. It usually takes away from the beauty that's right in front of us each day. Worry immobilizes us. Concerns push us away from the Lord and from one another. Faith pushes us towards God. Paul says stop worrying about anything. Remember when Jesus was uh, at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and Martha was literally cooking a meal for the Lord. I'm a stress cooker. I like everything to be timed just perfectly, Italian dishes especially. And when I'm in the kitchen, I'm usually thinking to myself, where is everybody? Why isn't anybody helping me? And then when someone steps into the kitchen, I'm like, get out of here! (laughs) Don't mess with what I'm trying to prepare. Right? Can you imagine if the Lord was coming over for dinner? You'd want everything to be perfect. Martha was a total basket case, stressing out. In fact, she looked at the Lord and said, tell that sister of mine to get in the kitchen and help me. And Jesus was like, I'm paraphrasing, whoa, woman, (laughs) ramp it down a little bit. You are worried and upset and fretting about so many things, but only one thing's really necessary. And your sister, Mary, She's chosen the better part. And she was sitting at his feet listening to his word. There's Martha. Spiritual. Just a little too spiritual for me. Calm down. Sit at my feet and get to know me. This is the most important thing that you can do right now. The other things, of course, we've got to pay attention to them, but they'll largely take care of themselves. If then you cannot do a very little thing, ESV, if then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, at, that is, add an hour to your life. Why are you anxious about the rest? Second illustration, consider the lilies, how they grow. I was looking at pictures of lilies last night, and uh, when you look at uh, flowers in the field, they're, they're so beautiful. They have all these different colors, and if you look close up, you can see you know, the inner workings of the flower, and you can start to consider how bees pollinate flowers and or get the pollination happens, and it's just amazing. Jesus says, consider the lilies how they grow. They neither toil, which speaks of labor, nor spin, might speak of someone doing something with yarn. But I tell you, even Solomon, you could say at the height of his glory, in all his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these flowers, But if God arrays the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, here's again from the lesser to the greater, how much more will he clothe you, O men, O people of what? Of little faith. How much more? How do you overcome worry, Pastor Michael? Jesus gives the formula. Be thankful. Focus on worship instead of worry. Maybe go outside and start looking at the birds in a new, fresh way. Reconsider the birds and the flowers. And there's so much more, right? We can look at a sunset. 
We can look at the stars. We can consider how long God's been running this universe. Do you remember when he saved you? Did you have it all together? Do you have it all together right now? Remember how he came into your life? Maybe for many of you at a moment of crisis and brought his grace into your life. Unbelief is the handmaiden of worry. Little faith makes for big worries. Big faith makes for little worries. So it does come down to faith. And Jesus says, do not seek what you shall eat, 29, what you shall drink, and do not keep worrying. Does that sound like a command to you? It does to me. Worry is a great inhibitor of action. Worry often strips us of, in, of enjoying today for the what-ifs of tomorrow. Let the birds and the flowers be your teachers, says Jesus. Look, ponder, consider. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, the what? But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom, and these things, what will happen, brethren? They'll be added to you. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, Eleven six of Hebrews. Let me quickly share with you Psalm 37. It says, do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious toward wrongdoers, for they wither quickly like grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. Psalm 37, 1 through 8. And then our final verse for this morning says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. The New Living says, Don't be afraid, little flock. It gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. God's promises ain't going anywhere. Amen? And what we need to convey to our culture right now is that those promises and the kingdom that we belong to, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies into conformity with his body or glorious resurrection body by the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Philippians 3. 20 and 21. Amen? That's the kingdom that we ultimately belong to. That's the kingdom that we should ultimately be living for. That's the kingdom we want to usher as many people into as possible. Amen? That's the kingdom that the Father, in giving His Son, is so happy that you're going to be part of. Little flock, don't be afraid, Jesus says. Your Father gladly wants to give you the kingdom. And how did He do it? Well, he sent down his son who said, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. And even as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for my sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they shall hear my voice and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. 
He is the good shepherd. And he holds us in his more than capable arms. Amen. And what he says is, hey, little lambs. (laughs) Hey, little sheepy, sheepy, sheepy. Follow me. And I'll lead you to green pastures, still waters. I'll restore your soul. I am the good shepherd. Those who trust in me, they will dwell in my house for how long? In the house of the Lord forever. He's the good shepherd. You, if you are a Christian this morning, you are his sheep. He loves you. And the good shepherd took the predator's fiercest bite at the cross for us. Amen? He loves you so much, little flock. He, the good shepherd became one of us, led like a lamb to the slaughter and laid down his life for us. That's how much he loves you. He's good. And his loving kindness is everlasting. And I think in times like these, what he's saying to us is, follow me. Follow me and I will lead you to places of peace, even in the midst of the storm. Is the world going to be chaotic, chaotic for the next weeks and months? Yeah. I don't know how quickly it's going to calm down. But I do know this, probably in a matter of weeks, maybe months, we're all going to look back on this time and go, wow, that was a crazy time. And my encouragement to you is to be praying that the Lord of the church, the good shepherd, would be bringing more little lambs into his fold. That they would see, people would see that the good shepherd laid down his life for me and for you to bring us into the fold, to protect us from the evil one, to let us know what life is really about. Amen? It's not about the things that we get so consumed over. And I have to tell you, I need to repent of some things in my own life. I need to constantly be looking. I spend, you know, I was telling Pastor Mike the other day, I spend probably a good 30 hours a week preparing two different sermons on Wednesdays and Sundays in addition to a lot of other things. I'm in the Word of God all week. I'm I'm spending time in prayer. And even I look at my own life and go, Lord, I fall short so much of the time. I don't want to just be a good technician with the Bible I want to know you, the Lord of the Bible. Amen? I want to lead people to you. I want to model what it means to be one who knows the good shepherd. I want to I bring forth those fruits and that peace to others. Not just when my life is good and everything's going swimmingly, but even when it's rough, leaning in to the good shepherd. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for... The precious people who have come out uh, braved coming to church today, thank you for that. Thank you for uh, those who are watching uh, electronically right now. Thank you for the technology that is available for those who may not be feeling good or uh, decided to, uh, to stay home for whatever the reason. I pray you'd bless them. I pray you'd encourage them. I pray that you would bless their, uh, their faith today. And I'm just going to ask you at this moment, whether you're watching by Facebook or whether you're here, that you would just consider for a moment whether you know the Good Shepherd. Do you know him? Do you know the one that laid down your li- his life for you? Would you make sure, if you're not sure you're a Christian, 
right now, just say, Lord Jesus Christ, I surrender my life to you. I repent of my sin. I thank you that you died on that cross for me, and I thank you that you rose from the dead to defeat death. Thank you that you're the good shepherd. I want to be one of your sheep. I want to follow you. Make me your child. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord, my Savior, my God, and my King. In Jesus' name. If you've been a wandering sheep and you know you need to come home, and you've sang like the old hymn writer says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. It's time to come home, and you can come home and do some business with him by turning from your sin and just saying, Lord, I put my faith and trust in you. And then for those of you who are already believers and you're fighting the good fight of faith, I pray you've been encouraged. I pray that the Lord will calm you, encourage you, fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit, give you peace in the midst of the storm. And I pray that you'd be praying for our nation, for the church in the nation, for wisdom for our leaders, maybe like never before. Father, we just lay all of this at your more than capable feet. In Jesus' holy name we pray, all God's people said. Amen. Amen. God bless you.